The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Um, the scripture this morning is Exodus 33, 12-14. And also, let me check my paper. 34, 5-9. Um, there's Bibles located under some of the seats around you, or you can... Look on the screen behind me to follow along. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct? I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Um, Then down to 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and sin, and take us for your inheritance." Well, I'm excited. We're going to move on. We've reached the climax of the book of Exodus, guys. Uh, we only have uh, three more weeks this week and two more after this in the Exodus, and we're going to be moving on to uh, Thessalonians after we have our first guest speaker, uh, Memorial Day weekend, which is going to be a lot of fun, and the, uh, um, the students are going to be coming in. It's going to be a, a fun summer at Doxa. I'm going to pray, and we're going to get rolling with probably what is uh, j- just a background. If this isn't my favorite passage of scripture, it is on my Mount Rushmore, a favorite passage of scriptures. So I'm really excited, and I hope you are really excited to be in this passage. If I had my druthers, if I was, if it was just my own, I would say we're going to be here for six to eight weeks in this one passage alone, and I think it would speak to us, but we're only going to be one week, and so we're going to roll. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word and for your people. Got to thank you for your mother, the mothers that are here. 
that feel love today, and God, those that uh, mothers or daughters or sons that uh, feel a sort of a, an emptiness on this morning, this day, Father, I pray that you would speak and reach each person, each person where they are. Our greatest need is your glory, and I pray that you would show us that this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, now, I want you guys to participate in an exercise with me, okay? You guys have to do this because I'm the one speaking. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to think about right now, what is the one thing at this very moment that you desire above all other things, all right? What is the one thing that if you could have this one thing, if this one thing is the one thing that you most want in the world, think about it. Now, I want you to stop thinking about what you're thinking about right now and to think about what the first thing that came to your minds. Because I find this is sort of an answer that we know the, uh, I used to play a, a game with some buddies of mine and we had right answer, real answer, right? I, I, this is the right answer to the question, but this is the real answer to the question. So I don't want the right church answer. I want in your own head, you don't have to say it, we're not gonna put it on the screen or anything, but in your own head, what is if you're very honest? What's the one thing that you most want? Your greatest desire, if you could have this, that would just put you over the top this morning. What's that one thing? See, we all long for a perfect existence. We all want to, to have a fulfilling job or career or be doing something that's fulfilling. We want to be married or have relationships that are fulfilling. We wanna have children that love us and honor us and that we're, we're sweet to and they're sweet back to us. We want, we want, the, we want the, the, where you drive up to home and the, everything's perfectly manicured and you walk in the house and everything's clean and your beautiful wife or your uh, awesome looking husband who's, you know, like looks a lot like me and bulging biceps and, you know, he's sweet. The, and everybody's smiling and the kids are playing quietly and they're like, oh, we're so glad you're here, mom. We're so glad you're here, dad. And you're, you're, things just flow along perfectly. That's the perfect existence. And those are the things that we long for, we, de, we, we desire. And that's what we think of when we think of heaven, right? Like, hey, life here on this side, it just oftentimes stinks, it's hard, there's pain, there's hurt. But when we get to the other side, it's gonna be perfect, now picture what is that perfect that you picture? Because that's your heaven. Whatever it is that you think is like, if this, was, if this thing that's wrong was made right, then that would be, everything would be perfect. That's your idea of heaven and my idea of heaven, whatever it exists in top of our head. Now here's a question. What if God came to you right now? What if God came to you right now privately and said, all right, here's the deal. I'm gonna give you everything you desire, everything you hope for, everything you dreamed of. Right now, it can be yours, boom. Would you take that deal? Moses, in this passage, was offered everything. God gave him a grand proposal he said, here's the deal, because what we were coming off last week is uh, Exodus 30, 32, the people, uh, 
They forgot all about God super fast. They build this idol. They worship the idol. Moses comes down. He throws down the tablets. He crushes the idol. He makes them drink the, the dirty idol water and says, taste the bitterness of your own idol worship. And now that he goes, to, he says, I gotta go to intercede with God for you. And so hopefully he won't you know, swallow you all up. And he goes up to God and he says, God, will you please forgive this people? And God says, here's the deal. I'll forgive the people and I'll lead you into the land that I promised you, the land flowing with milk and honey. But here's the deal. I can't go with you. I'm gonna give you everything you desire. I'm gonna send you to the land that's flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not gonna go with you. Now, if you were offered that deal, what would your response be? Well, Moses comes back, he says, no, 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 no. That's not the deal, we do not want that. And God says, no, no, get out of my way. Here, I'm gonna sweeten the deal for you, Moses. All right, here's the deal. These people are stiff-necked people. They are hard, hard-hearted, stiff-necked people. It's really just any people. Any people are stiff-necked and hard-hearted. But he says, these are stiff-necked people, and here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start over. Let me destroy them, and I'll make you the father of the people. And I'll give you a great name, which in this society, to be a man who was a patriarch of a people was the greatest honor that you could possibly get in this society. He says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will lead your people into the land. And that was a sweet deal because Moses was having to deal with the Israelites, like all their griping and complaining already. They were complaining about the water system, and they were complaining about the food delivery system. They were complaining about uh, how justice was being doled out. They were, they were complaining about everything. And Moses had to deal with it. And so you have to think like, not only does Moses get a great name for himself, but he gets to not have to worry with the headache of leading the people. But Moses says, no, that's not enough. He had no interest in that. Because to him, there was something that was more valuable than everything he desired and everything that he wanted there was something that was more valuable than everything. This passage shows us what is that valuable. What could be more, worth more than everything we ever hoped? We're gonna look at three things this morning. God's glory is the deepest longing of our soul. God's glory is the unique mark of his people. And God's glory has to be pursued. First of all, God's glory is the deepest longing of our soul. Glory is one of those words that you hear around church that you don't really hear very often other places. Uh, occasionally you'll hear it, maybe sometimes uh, associated with, with sports, but it's, it's a Christian word, a church word, that sometimes we, we use it around, but we maybe we don't even know what it really means. Uh, the, the dictionary defines glory as high renown or honor won by notable achievements. High renown or honor won by notable achievements or magnificence or great beauty. Here's something I know about you. 
I don't know all of you very well. Some of you I know really well. Some of you I don't know at all. But here's what I know about you, regardless of how well I know you, is that you have a thirst and a longing for glory. Each of us is on a personal quest for glory, for high renown or honor won by notable achievements or to experience or be a part of magnificence or great beauty. Each of us longs to know that our life counts, that it has weight, that it has impact, that somebody knows that we're here and that our life matters. We long for that. We long for a sense of glory. Each of us longs to know that our life means something. Each of us longs to taste and to share in renown. It's, what, it's the reason why uh, if you play sports or you're into sports, it's the reason why you play sports or you're into sports. Because of renown and glory. Because there's that feeling of at the moment of victory, at the moment of achievement that is intoxicating, isn't it? Well, the problem is it's very difficult to repeat. Justin shared a story of Tom Brady, a very famous interview that he had a couple, couple weeks ago uh, that he gave back a few years ago, Tom Brady did, where he said, like, look, I love that feeling, but it's never enough. I gotta, no matter what I achieve, I have to go more. We long for glory. We long for renown. It's why the rich work hard to get richer. And it's why those that are beautiful work hard to stay beautiful or to get more. It's why those that have achieved in business or in the community work harder at going, pursuing that. When you think, man, why wouldn't you just stop and enjoy what you have? It's because something in us drives us for glory. We drive to taste something that's greater and bigger, to feel exhilarated and to know that our life counts. It's why people who, I think it's crazy, but people who seek thrills jump out of airplanes. The most terrifying video I saw last year was not a scary movie, which I won't watch, by the way, but it's not a scary movie. It was, I saw these people jumping off the side of the tallest building in the world in Dubai. That was, and they had like the, the GoPro on their helmet or on their heads as they were going down. So you saw what they saw as they would take running jumps off the side of the building and just fall. Why would they do that? I, I don't know. But the reason that we seek those things, the thrill, the feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of being alive, is being a part of something bigger than us is we long for glory. We long to know that we, our life counts, that our life means something, that it has substance, that there's been some impact, some result of our being here. You know why you long for that? Because you were made for God's glory. You were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God is the greatest, let's say he's the greatest, existence in eternity is to downplay his greatness. He is the ultimate. Think of the most fun, the most odd, the most uh, 
love, the most wow that you've ever been, put that all together and it's only a very small crumb of what it means to know God. To be in his presence, to see him is to be utterly awed and amazed. It's to be undone. It is to experience such pleasure and beauty that it would absolutely just explode your mind. You were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever and that's why you long for glory. That's why you long for renown. That's why you long for greatness, to experience greatness, to be a part of greatness, to taste greatness, to be great for people. That's why you long for that because you were made for God's glory and you were made to enjoy him forever. That's the first question, the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what you were made for. It's in your DNA. That's why nothing else satisfies. That's why no achievement ever satisfies fully and long enough for you. We were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But the question to you and me this morning is, are you satisfied? Are you content with lesser glories? Are you and I satisfied and content with lesser glories, with lesser renown? with lesser fame, with lesser greatness, with lesser impact. All the things that you and I seek, all the things that you and I build our lives around, all the ways that you and I are seeking and longing that we would, people would know that we are here, that our life counts, that our life matters. Are you satisfied with lesser Moses meets with God. He, he intercedes for the people. God, don't, don't do away with these people. And God says, okay, I'll answer that request. But the way I'm gonna answer it, I'm gonna send the people in and I'll send an angel before you guys and he'll do all the fighting for you and it'll be easy, you'll get in. But I can't go with you. And Moses said, that's not good enough. If you don't go with us, don't send me. What he's saying is, we would rather, I would rather die here in the wilderness of starvation or heat exhaustion or thirst rather than to go to the land flowing with milk and honey and not have you there. And what if you could have everything you ever wanted, but God wasn't there? I don't think there's any sadder story in the Bible than the story of Samson, and God was with Samson, and he had great strength and power, and he's really toying with God and toying with sin around him, and, but he took advantage, he knew that every time that they thought they had him trapped, he could overpower them and overcome them. But one day it says that he woke up to overpower them like he had before and it says that he, he did not know that the glory of God had passed from him. 
He no longer knew that he wasn't there. And he rose up to beat them like he always had, and he was beaten. I think that's the saddest story for you and I to go through life pursuing lesser glories and just satisfied enough that it keeps us chasing the carrot when we miss the point of it all. You were made for God's glory and his glory to see him and experience him and his majesty, his magnificence, his great beauty is what you were made for. But then Moses says, all right, all right, he, please go with us. And God says, all right, I'll go with you. But something interesting happens after this. God grants every request that Moses has to forgive his people, to lead them, to go with them into the new lands. But for Moses, the gifts of God weren't enough. He follows that up with a further question. He says, it turns from being a request for the people to being a request for himself. He says, would you show me your glory? Because he saw enough of God's nature and character in the gifts, in the answers to his prayers. He saw enough there that he wasn't satisfied with the gifts. He wasn't satisfied with the answers to his prayer. He needed to see God, he needed to see his glory, to know him personally. And I wonder for you and me, if you're a believer in here and you're constantly asking God, like, God, would you do this for my family? Would you do this for my marriage? Would you do this for our finances? Would you do this for our business? Would you do this even for our church? And what if he answered all those questions, all those requests, and gave you everything you wanted, everything you asked for, Would you be content with that or would you say, God, now I see enough out of that that I'm no longer entranced by the answers to my requests. I wanna see you. The glory of God is the weight or the substance of God's character and nature. That's what the word means here in the original Hebrew. The word glory means weight. And it's interesting, isn't it, that you and I are, are looking to know that our life counts, that it matters, that it has weight, that it has some sort of impact, that if we suddenly disappeared from the face of the earth, that people would know that we were, would, have, would know that we had been here, that we count to people and to life and society around us. We're looking for weight when God's glory is the weight that we're looking for. It's the substance of God's character and his nature. It's not just the generic idea of there being a God, but it is seeing him for who he truly is. That's the glory of God. More specifically, if you look at verse 18 through 20 of chapter 33, Moses said, please show me your glory and God responded and said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me 
and live. God's glory is his presence, his very presence among us and in us. God's glory is the deepest longing of our soul. But then we also see here that God's glory is the unique mark of the people of God. Look at verses one through four of chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he said, I'm gonna keep the promise. To your offspring, I will give it. And I will send an angel before you and I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, all the Vites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you Go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Look at verse four. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. The disastrous word. If you'll give me everything I long for, and yet you won't go with me, if I won't see you and know you, if I won't experience life in your presence, if I won't be beholding you in your glory and your magnificence, if I, if I won't be growing in a, an appreciation of your character and nature, don't send me. That would be disaster if you gave me all of that and you didn't go with me. I already mentioned it, but hear the words in verse 12 through 16. Moses said to, the, said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? God's glorious presence is the special promise of his people. That's God's special promise to you. God's special promise to you is not a heaven where there's just no sickness and no disease and nobody's poor and the streets are lined with gold and it's beautiful. Like all of that sounds great, but if you had that and you don't have him, you have nothing. God's great promise to you and to us as his people is that his presence will be with us and among us. That is his special promise to his people. And nothing else is satisfying and will do. His special promise to his people is not that he will build a great church. It's not that you'll have an awesome praise and worship band and an awesome preacher. I'm not saying that's me, an awesome preacher and an 
cool coffee and all the stuff that you can imagine will come along with church. His great promise to us is that he will be with us and that he will be in us. That we will have him. And if you have him, then nothing else matters. That's his special promise to you and to me. God's glorious presence is the special promise to his people, but then God's glorious presence is the unique unique sign of his people. The unique sign of God's people is not as wonderful and amazing as the Bible is. It's not that we would have the Bible and we'd be able to memorize it and know it. It's not what we believe. The special, unique sign of his people is not what we, that we would have a cross or that anything else. This unique sign of God's people, the thing that makes us distinct is that God's presence is in us and among us. You know how I know that? Because that is eternal. A million years from now, when this world has been swallowed up by the new heavens and the new earth, the Bible won't matter. Our programs won't matter because we'll have him face to face, fully. But we have him now. A foretaste, but it's a taste nonetheless. And it's that that is the the alone unique sign of God's people. So here's the question. Is this precious to you? Is this what you seek and what you long for? Is this what we seek and we long for as a people? If your presence does not go with us, don't send us. Notice how Moses said it. He didn't just say, if your presence doesn't go with me. He says, if your presence doesn't go with us, it's a collective thing. It's not just you and me alone. It's a collective thing. This exchange is very dear to my heart because I pray this prayer all the time. Uh, we, uh, as a church, just heading into church planning and you know, growing and learning as a church, and I pray, God, if your presence won't go with us, shut it all down. I have no interest in it. We've, uh, it's, it's interesting and encouraging. It, we've grown by 50% over the past year. All our numbers are right about 50% year to date. And that's awesome. But if we were to double in the next month, and God said, I will let you guys go and you will grow a church and uh, You'll have volunteers and you'll plant community groups and you'll plant churches and I'll let you do all of that. I will empower you to do all of that, but my presence doesn't go with you. 
it's not worth anything. Because it's his presence alone that is the unique sign of us being his people. It's God's presence alone that makes us distinct. And it's that way that God receives all the glory. That it's not, hey, this new church came in town and they do things awesomely. They have a great band. They have great leaders. They have cool whatever. They have great coffee up front, and that's why they grew. The thing that gives God glory alone is that it's only his glory, only his presence dwelling among his people that does the work, that causes blind eyes to see, causes Uh, those who are hurting to be made whole and causes us to grow in grace and to turn around and live life on mission. Only God's glory. That they say only his presence alone is what did this. It's his presence that makes a great church. Not a preacher or a leader or a system of belief or coffee or a band or a building or anything else. This must be our great pursuit as a people. This must be the thing that we won't accept anything else. God, if you don't go with us, don't send us. Excuse me. How will they know unless you go with us? God's glory is the deepest longing of our soul. God's glory is the unique mark of the people of God. Then we see in this passage also that God's glory must be pursued. I think that I am and we are utterly and sadly content with the shadow. I think oftentimes uh, Christians in general, but American Christians in particular, I think we're utterly and sadly content. Like, God, if we show up and like the church is kind of growing or doing well, we're meeting budget and occasionally somebody puts trust in him and faith in him and uh, things are going along fairly well, I think we're utterly and sadly satisfied with that. I think a majority of churches in America, and I'm not saying this is criticism, I'm just saying for us for us to be thinking about this, I think a majority of churches in America, if God's presence wasn't, didn't show up on a Sunday morning, they would have no problem. They would continue to hum along very smoothly. I think if God's presence left for three to six to 12 months or longer, things would continue to hum along just as, just as smoothly as ever. I hope that can never be said of us. But if we are satisfied with the shadow, we will never seek more. If we're satisfied like Moses could have been and said, all right, that sounds like a good plan. Take us to the land, I can do this. Take us to the land, get everything done, land flow of milk and honey, I can get this people off my back. That sounds great. That wasn't enough for him. And it can't be enough for us. 
It was his, the longing of his soul to know God and to see his glory and for God's glorious presence to go then with them. Do we know that longing? It's the longing for God himself. It's, it is the heartbeat of every true believer. That's what we have tasted and what we have seen glimpses of and we long for more of. How do we do it? How do we pursue his glory? First of all, we see that the people and Moses, what they did, they did two things. It says, you catch that part we read? It says they stripped themselves of their ornaments. So they had uh, earrings and necklaces and stuff and, and uh, in their society, that was how you showed how important you were, how the status that you had, how rich you were you by the ornaments that you would wear. It's probably not that far from, removed from us. And they symbolically and physically and intentionally removed their ornaments. They removed their own, the symbols of their own glories, smaller glories, for the sake of saying, we're not content with this, we're seeking something more. Are we willing to remove our own glories, our own distractions, the, our own things that, that we seek after and long for, uh, the lesser glories to make a name for ourselves, to be known, to know that our life counts outside of Christ? We remove those. And secondly, it says that Moses went and he pitched a tent outside the camp and the people that were longing for God would go out to the tent and they would pray. And what that means is, are you and I willing to go out of our ordinary pattern of life to seek Christ, to seek his glory? Are we willing to be intentional and go outside the camp to go to say, hey, if this is, should be the greatest longing, the greatest pursuit of my life to see and taste and experience the glory of God, then am I going to make the lifestyle changes that are necessary to go out of the ordinary to seek that, to pursue that? Then let me read this to you. Keetra already read part of it. Let's just hear it together. Verse 17 of chapter 33, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that I have, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. He says, I will show you my glory. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you the, my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall, shall not be seen. Look down in verse five of chapter 34. This is Moses up on the mountain. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, 
a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You know what this is called? This is what's called revival or an awakening. You and I have experienced to some extent in our own soul when you were maybe driving around or jogging or in your home or in a, in a meeting and for, for a moment, a particular part of God's character appeared to you and you sort of, without a better term, you were able to see it, you were able to taste it, you were able to experience it, you saw how loving he was, how gracious he was, how powerful he was, how omnipotent he was. It, some, some part of God's character or nature captured you and it, you felt his presence with you. This, uh, he passed by, as it were, a, a bit of his character. And when revival is when God passes by a people and he shows his nature and his character to us in such a way that it captivates us like nothing else can. I named my son, if you bear with me a couple more minutes. Uh, when we adopted Landon, we changed his middle name uh, to Edwards. That's because Jonathan Edwards is, uh, I, I just love him. He was a um, probably the most influential American theologian in history. Uh, he was pre-Revolutionary War. Listen to this quote he has. It's a long quote. I don't like to read quotes to you guys, but if you just stick with me and listen to this. Sometimes, this is his quote, sometimes only mentioning a single word caused my heart to burn within me or only seeing the name of Christ or the name of some attribute of God and God has appeared glorious to me on the account of the Trinity. It's made me have exalting thoughts of God that he subsists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The sweetest joys and delights I've experienced have not been those that have arisen from a hope of my own good estate, but in a direct view of the glorious things of the gospel. When I enjoy the sweetness, it seems to carry me above the thoughts of my own estate. It seems at such times a loss that I cannot bear to take off my eye from the glorious, pleasant object I behold, I behold without me, to turn my eye in, in upon myself and my own good estate. Listen to this. Once as I rode out into the woods for my health in 1737, having alighted from my horse in a retired place as my manner commonly has been, to walk for divine contemplation and prayer. I had a view that for me was extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man and his wonderful, great, full, pure, and sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension. condescension. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception, which continued as near as I can judge about an hour, which kept me the greater part of the time in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. I felt an ardency of soul to be what 
I know not otherwise how to express emptied and annihilated, to lie in the dust and to be full of Christ alone, to love him with a holy and pure love, to trust in him, to live upon him and to serve and follow him and to be perfectly sanctified and made pure with a divine and heavenly purity. I've several other times had views very much of the same nature which have had the same effects. To see God's glory is to be undone. We must pursue that. But here's the good news. That God has most clearly shown us his glory in the person and work of Jesus. If you notice how when Moses experienced God's glory, it wasn't just some ethereal feeling that happened. God appeared before him and proclaimed his name and he named out his characteristics, right? The Lord, the Lord, Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping love to thousands, forgiving iniquity. But yet then he also says, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God's glory is his nature and character, and we see that perfectly married in the person of Jesus Alone in Jesus do we see God's gracious love, forgiving sin, and yet his justice and that he has to take care of sin. And he poured out the justice, the punishment that was due to sin that he's describing here in this passage upon Jesus himself. If you and I wanna see the glory of God and be stirred by the glory of God, we look at the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. But in these last days, he was spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I'm going to pray and the band's gonna come up and they're gonna play for us in about 60 seconds or so. I would like for us individually and corporately to make a commitment this morning that we're gonna make the pursuit of God's, God's glory, the pursuit of our personal lives and our corporate pursuit together. That above all things, that will be what we seek that will be what we pursue. That will be what we run after. If during the communion time, if you would like to have somebody pray with you, maybe somebody in this room, just grab them. If you see somebody that you'd like to pray with, feel free to grab them and pray with them. Mark and Heather and some other people will be back in the prayer area back here. They'd be love to pray with you if you'd like to have somebody to pray with you. We're gonna take about 60 seconds, like I said. Maybe just uh, make a commitment in our own hearts to seek after Christ and his glory, to make a commitment to strip ourselves of our own ornaments and to go outside the camp as we seek God's glory above all things. Father, I thank you for the fact that uh, we were made for your glory. We were made to know you and to enjoy you, to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. Father, I pray that you would 
Help us to turn from lesser glories, to make the pursuit of our lives, the pursuit of our church, pursuit of your glorious presence, and that you would pass by us personally, that you would pass by us corporately, and proclaim your name and character for us in such a way that we would be captivated, overwhelmed, and overcome, and that you would go with us as we go, and that people would look and say, that's how we know that they are the people of God, by your divine, glorious, beautiful presence in our midst. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.